Well, this morning we have an incredible, incredible, incredible privilege. We've got Jerry and Joy Spain here this morning who are going to share with us. Now, at District Council this weekend, Jerry and Joy were just recognized for 60 years of ordained ministry. So that is unheard of. People don't do anything. People barely live 60 years anymore. I think Jerry was like three years old when he got ordained, you know, to have that. And, and Joy, like, must have come out of the womb ordained because they're, they're both young still. But uh, they've been missionaries in Africa for years and years. 55 years they were missionaries in Africa. So uh, they're kind of semi-retired. Well, we won't let them retire. They try to retire, and they keep pulling Jerry and Joy back to do projects for them. So uh, would you give a huge Calvary welcome this morning to some legends of the faith here, Jerry and Joy Spain this morning? Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Sincere thanks to all of you. Man, I, I was there when, uh, when this church was celebrating the people that uh, went through the uh, licensing and ordination and different things. Wow, there was a big shout from Lexington, and I... I joined with you because uh, we've been related to this church in some way for a long time. Actually, uh, Pastor, I, I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to piggyback onto the council and have a service here today in this church. Brings back so, so many memories of wonderful times that we've had here in the past. And I have decided to approach a missionary service uh, a little differently today. And that is, uh, I want this to be a celebration. I want it to be a celebration of a partnership that you have had with some missionaries. Now, you just heard me say in response that my wife and I have been missionaries for 55 years now. And as near as I can tell, now, you know, I'm getting old. I'm getting old, and memory sometimes slips a little bit when you get to be in your 80s, you know, but... Uh, I've got a pretty good memory that as candidate missionaries, we came to Lexington, Nebraska for a missionary service. And that would have been in 1966. You do your math. You do your math. 1966, candidate missionaries came to a church in Lexington. My wife and I were reminiscing a little bit because... Uh, Actually, we, we knew a lot of the pastors that pastored this church. And uh, I'm not going to go down that list because there's a long history and that would take too, too much time. We've had wonderful fellowship. I, I will mention that Joy and I uh, talked this morning that we can remember spending uh, two weeks for what we called back in the uh, 60s, we called them revival meetings. Now, they weren't always revivals, but they were special meetings. They were special meetings, and we spent two weeks here in Lexington with Pastor Eden, I will mention one name, and his wife, and lived in their house, had wonderful joy, remembers having wonderful fellowship. This was Lexington and the kind of relationship that we had with this church. Now, I, I took the time to look up the history book. There's a history book of the uh, Nebraska Assemblies of God. Actually, uh, one of your former pastors had a, had a major part. Joe Maston helped put that history book together. So I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but I hope you've read the history of the Lexington Church <laughs> out of that Living Waters history book. Now, I can tell you, I glanced at it. I brought it with me. I brought the book with me. I left it. I mean, it was, it was in the motel. But... Uh, and again, uh, I, you know, I'm an amateur historian, and I can tell you that this church was planted in 1936. And uh, the history book says that for a long time, the people struggled. They didn't even have enough money for groceries. I want you to think about pioneer work in planting a church. We were celebrating out at the council this week the multiplying and planting new churches. Somebody... 
felt the burden to come to Lexington, Nebraska and plant a church. And, and if you know your history, those were, as one author said, the worst of the hard times, the worst of the hard times and depression, and yet they, they planted a church. <laughs> okay, let's fast forward. I can remember coming one time. I'm an old-timer telling stories, but I can't. My cousin and I, from Valentine, Nebraska, decided we wanted to go to youth camp a little early. So we came down. We uh, we were able to we were able to find a way to drive an old vehicle, and we drove all the way from Valentine. And in those days, I'm I'm talking to you about history now. The drive from Valentine, Nebraska, had some dirt road. Can you imagine? There was some dirt road south of Valentine into in 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 one of those areas and drive on that dirt road and then go through Broken Bow and come down whatever this highway is from Broken Bow to Lexington. We got here a day early. And so we said, hey, it's Sunday night, let's go to church. And we went to church at the election assembly. Now, you know, and a pastor by the name of Wilkins, his name is on, the, on, on one of the buildings out there, was pastoring in Lexington at that time. And, and he asked my cousin and I if we would, we would sing. I mean, just on the spot, he said, Do you, can you sing a duet? We sang a duet, even though we probably couldn't even, we couldn't even carry parts. <laughs> I think we both sang the melody. And yet we stood in front of the Lexington church and sang a song for the glory of God and then went to youth camp the next day. Vivid memories. All right, let's fast forward to the fact that my wife and I were approved to be missionaries at a district council in Grand Island. And uh, you know, when you're approved to be missionaries, what they do is hand you a budget and say, go find your support. <laughs> go find your support now. And you were just talking about it, the fact that you've had missionaries here, and I, I want to celebrate that. Let's give, let's give the Lord a big clap. And I, and I took a look today of the certificates, those certificates out there. And, and it means a great deal to us because another generation now, you're supporting, you're supporting Kirk and Marlene Spain. There's a little connection there. <laughs> There's a little connection there. Kirk and Marlene, Kirk is our son and married to a beautiful wife. And they are missionaries in South Africa right now. Now, Kirk specifically said, you know, it's amazing. These tools that we have, I've got it turned off now, but these tools, yesterday he texted he text us and then we could FaceTime together on a call and he says, be sure and tell the folks hello for me. So I pass on that. I pass on another generation that you have supported. Now, what I'm trying to say to you today is that we've had a long partnership. And a lot of money has been invested. Resources. I, 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 I'm not going to go into the details today, but I call it sometimes the divine alchemy. The alchemy means that in chemistry, you, you take things and mix it together. And monthly, many of you here give a pledge or give a faith promise. And there is a technical difference that I don't need to go into, but you've given money to missions. And then that money goes to a place called the headquarters of the Assemblies of God, and they transfer it. They take a small percentage, which they should. They should take, because they operate a multi-million dollar business and they have to, have to make sure that it's solid and so they take a small percentage out and the rest of it will go to the missionary needs. Now month after month after month, year after year, this church has made an investment in East Africa. And I come here today to say thank you. Well, I'm going to do it in a different way. I told you this is going to be a little, little different. I'm going to do it through another language. And I want to say this to you today. Now, for those of you who are, I, I compliment you that I understand that this is going into, into Spanish as well. Huh? Okay, th th this, you, you probably won't be able to translate this very well. <laughs> but I'll help you. Nasimama hapaleo kusema asanteni. Nasema asante kutoka moyo wangu. 
Nasema Asantini kwa jili ya watu mbao wameokoka. Now I'm only giving you a paragraph and I'll translate it. I've stand before you and to speak with my second heart language on behalf of millions of people who have come to know Jesus Christ because people like you put a missionary offering on a plate or in a bag or through a check or online, whatever it might be, so that people could come to know Jesus Christ. Praise God. Yes, you're right. Let's give the glory. I told you. You might, you might think it's just a process. You might think it's just perfunctory or something that, you know, these people get excited about doing something in another part of the world. No, it's not. I told the young people today, that's not it. It's not that we want to go on a romantic tourist trip or something like that. No, it's because people are there. People, God's people. God's valuable people are there. And when God has valuable people, wherever it is, whether it's in Lexington, Nebraska, or whether it's in Omaha, or, or whether it's in, in, in the Middle East, or specifically for us, whether it's in that world where a hundred million people speak the language that I've just used. That's their heart language when they worship I've got to give you just a little sidebar here today for a moment in this celebration. My wife's here, and I should have introduced her earlier. This is my dear wife. We met in grade school in the seventh grade, Valentine, Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, and it was love at first sight, yeah. <laughs> but her parents wouldn't even let me date her the first time I asked. <laughs> She's been my, my sweetheart and partner now for... 64 years, and so stand up, stand up. She's, I, I refer to her as the, the Queen of Hearts of Valentine, Nebraska, that's it. And uh, her parents were pastors, pastored for over 50 years, her brother pastored the Lexington Assembly of God at one time. You look back on the history and find the name Blockob, Blockob, a German name. Blockob, and you'll find that uh, Nolan Blockob and his wife pastored here in, in Lexington at, at, at one time. Now, where am I going with this? I'm going to show you a video right now. Thanks to your pastor and modern technology, in East Africa recently, there was a celebration. That's why we're celebrating here. How many of you like to celebrate? Yeah, I know you do. I heard you out there at the campgrounds. I heard, I heard you celebrating, and I was, I was with you. Man, I, I, you know, I might be an old codger, but I get excited. I get excited. I'm celebrating with you today. And recently, in the last few weeks, there was a celebration in East Africa. And I'm only going to introduce this quickly, and then I'm going to go to something. We'll get kind of a smorgasbord going here in this celebration. But uh, when I saw the video that the Assemblies of God World Missions put out, it brought tears to my eyes because I said, Lord, I just humbly thank you that I was there. I was there. My wife and I were living in a town called Arusha, Tanzania. <laughs> When the very first convert, I want you to try to get your mind around this. When one tribe of people, one people's group on the face of this earth that would number somewhere around a, a million people when only, when, when, when they were saying there's no converts among these people. They're all living in, in darkness and lost without Jesus Christ. <laughs> And I was, I was deeply moved that God had sent us from the, the beautiful state of Nebraska to go and, and reach the people that didn't know Jesus Christ. And there was this tribe, among others, there, there, there was this tribe called the Maasai. And we started with one single convert, praise God, for one person that came to know Jesus Christ. And from that, I'm going to show you. 
what's taking place right now. And then I'll come back and add a few illustrations to it along with the scripture. Let's see, let's see. Let's see what God is doing. We're here in Kenya celebrating 30 years of church planting amongst the Maasai. Greg, I can't wait for this week and I'm so glad you were here because you were here from the very beginning. Yeah, it was really fun today to see those Maasai folks celebrating and, and dancing up and down and, and celebrating the fact that Jesus has come to Maasai land. You know, 30 years ago, they were completely unreached. Yeah. In fact, people were scared to even go into Maasai territory. Oh, yeah. They're a warrior tribe, they had their own God. They didn't want to have anything to do with the church. But God slowly began to break open the door of people's hearts and a revival started that today has spread like wildfire. It's an amazing story. We're gonna to go to three or four more places and celebrate what God is doing among these wonderful Maasai people. And we want you to celebrate with us Absolutely. everywhere we go. We want you to thank the Lord for what God's doing among these amazing people. It's gonna be a great week. It's gonna be fun. The old saying, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, and you've just seen a celebration that's going on, because I told you in the introduction that we started with one single convert, one man, and from that one man, we started a home church. I don't have time to tell you all the details, but we started a home church. Was that ever a fascinating thing in a, in a Maasai hut? Now, it was very fascinating. The very first church that was planted among them was, was in a small African hut. And one day, I said to the, to the pastor, I said, wow, we've got, uh, we've got a wonderful opportunity here to teach the children. And, and, uh, and I said, I wanna, I'd like to have a picture. It was in his house, which wouldn't seat more than uh, or 15 or 20 people at the most. Well, he said, I've got to explain to you that... Uh, that most of those children are mine. And he and his wife explained to me, they maybe some kind of a world record, I don't know, but they had four sets of twins. Four sets of twins and two singles. Now that made up a pretty good, a pretty good Sunday school right there. <laughs> and so from that house, we said, let's just continue to, reach out to your neighbors and, 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 and witness. And, and I've, I've got to share with you here today quickly. I'm using the word quickly because I want to be conscious of the fact that we're in America where, you know, the, the speed moves a little bit faster. We only have two speeds over there, and that's slow and slower. That's all. <laughs> we, don't get, we don't get in a hurry. We never get in a hurry. But I, I know where I am today. So that's it. But uh, from that church... From that church, we, we found enough money through places like Lexington because we would come here for missionary services and we would say, we need to build a church for the Maasai. We need to build a building. People gave money. Thank God for the generosity, the spirit. Of, when projects, every time I would come home, now I can't even, I didn't even try to figure that out because in 55 years, every four years, you have a furlough of what's called a furlough at Stateside Ministry and I would come <laughs> I was reminiscing in my mind yesterday as, as I was preparing for this celebration. I thought, I, uh, 
I can remember so many different times that I came here for a, a service when we were in statesides and present the project. And one of them would have been for a Maasai church and for a Bible school to train the people. And, and that, that one uh, house that was a house church had, had the man and wife. And the man came to me one day. His, he took on a Christian name. Instead of having a Maasai name, he, he took the name Joshua. And he said, I want to come to Bible school. He said, I, I feel God is calling me to be a witness, and I need to study the Bible. I don't know very much English. And, and he said, I, I can speak Swahili. But So I said, well, when we study in Swahili, we'll study it in the classes of being Swahili. So he came to Bible school and enrolled. Didn't have enough money for tuition. We said, that's okay. We'll sponsor. We'll find a sponsor some way. I'll never forget watching Joshua Ole and Gataiti, his last Maasai name, watching him. It put me to shame at times to think of his dedication because I, I, I would watch that he only, had, he only had two shirts. And he would, he would wear one shirt to class and then in the evening he would sneak down to the river and wash his shirt in the river water and I would find it hanging up someplace at the Bible school. And I remember one time, here, I'm going to overuse that word. I, I was touched by those kind of needs of Joshua that I came home and contacted the women's ministry of the state of Nebraska. And I said, we need shirts and we, we need clothes. And the women of Nebraska, including Lexington, filled up one of those rooms. I walked through it, filled up one of the rooms at the campground with clothes. We put them in barrels to take out there so that Joshua and others could have more than two shirts. And so that they could, uh, they, they could adequately serve the Lord with the, with the needs. Now, we didn't make, I don't want you to misunderstand anything today. We didn't make anything big thing about the fact that they had to change their way of dressing. Many of them only, many of the men only wear a blanket. You would have seen that that's a red blanket is important to them. <laughs> but out of that, of offering a partnership, we could do it because people in Lexington and many other places said, we're going to join you. We're going to join you. We want you, we, we want you to, to have the necessary resources. And because of that, you've just seen, hang on now. There are more than 500 Assemblies of God churches among the Maasai right now. There are two, there are two Bible colleges, two Bible training centers that are dedicated to specifically planting churches, multiplying churches among the Maasai. Praise God. And let's give another clap offering today. Now I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. And, and don't think that that was all just introduction. I'm going to do something I probably have never done before. And that is, I'm going to, in the next few moments, I'm going to, to leave you with three words from a passage of Scripture that I hope you'll be able to remember. Now, I didn't put them on PowerPoint this time because they are so simple. They are so simple. But turn with me, if you would, right now to the book of John. I was teaching from this in the Sunday school class today from the third chapter of the book of John. And now I want you to turn to the fourth chapter. So we're in three and four. And in the fourth chapter of the book of uh, of the Gospel of John, I want to read verses 34, start with 34, and read down this one whole paragraph, 34 through 38. Let's follow along as you have it in whatever translation. My food, said Jesus, excuse me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I'll pause a moment in that very first verse to underline something. There's a work to be finished, Jesus says. And his food, now I told you I'm going to do this quickly. I want to do the message in about 10 minutes. You think a missionary can preach a message in 10 minutes? 
hang on. But this is emphasis right here. Jesus is saying, my food is to do the will of the Father, and that should be your main food. That's your main food, to do the will of the Father. That's, I'm going to give you that in a nutshell. And so in verse 35, he says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? Notice it's a question. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Okay, the three words that I want to leave with you today that I hope you can remember even when you're having lunch. They're all three with a P, so they should, you know, I do this. Homiletics, or, or the, the, putting it together an outline, is only so that people can remember. And I've got enough faith today. I prayed that these three P's will stick in your mind. Number one, I want you to see the priority right here. Number one, priority of the harvest. Wow. It's very clear right here. <laughs> in, in, in verses 31 through 34, Jesus said, this is my priority, the harvest. And then he gives a simple illustration in a question. He says to his disciples, do I hear you saying that there's still three months to the harvest? No, that's not it. It's now. Now. Oh, they said, we don't see, we don't see the wheat. We don't see. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not it. I'm not talking about the natural. I'm not, I'm not talking about agronomy now. I'm not talking about planting and, and sowing in the terms of, of corn or wheat or, or soybean or whatever you might relate to in, in, in this. I'm talking about a spiritual harvest. So there's the priority here, the priority and then I see in this passage of Scripture, the second P is the pressure of the harvest. The pressure. There's another word for that, and that's called urgency. What's so urgent about the harvest? Why does he say, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. This is urgent. This is the Father's will. The Father's will is that this Samaritan woman that I just talked to, you can find it in the, same, in the same context, this Samaritan woman that had many different husbands and a broken life needed to be made whole. That's the priority. It's, it's, it's not the physical, it's the spiritual. And that's the pressure. And then what I want to talk to you about, see, I can do it in less than 10 minutes now as far as an outline, and, and then the third point is going to be the rest of the message. And I don't mind if Pastor even tells me because you've got a little different timetable here. It's 5 after 11 now. What do you normally go? Not African time, huh? All right. I want to talk to you today. This is where the Lord laid it on my heart this week when I saw the, these last few days, when I saw these videos, I said, Lord, could I present this to the Lexington Church? And could we have a celebration of the harvest? A celebration? Wow. This is the pleasure. That's the third P. Now, I'm not going to ask you to repeat now, but here, you know, again, in your mind, remember that it's the priority, the pressure of the harvest. And if we'll take care of that priority, what's the most important thing? Hmm. Somebody asked me to write that down recently. Somebody asked me to write down, what's the most important thing in your life? About what are you obsessed? Hmm. If you'd show me, show me, show me your checkbook and I could, I could tell you what some of your priorities are. Or tell me about your time. And your tools, your tools, are, I, 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 I could analyze it with you. I'm tempted. I'm very tempted sometimes when I go to a church. I do a lot of traveling yet. The pastor tells, as mentioned, I'm represented. I'm a field representative of a ministry for Bible colleges. I'll come back to that right in, here in conclusion. 
And I'm very tempted when I go to a church. I feel very safe saying this in Lexington. Sometimes I'd be, when I go to a church, I'd say, boy, I wished I could look at your books. I wished I could look at your church books. Oh, that's not your right. No, I know that. I know that. It's not. But I wish I could because there's somebody else that has eyes that look at the books. They look at the books. And I have been bold enough to dare to ask a pastor from time to time, do you give, do you give at least 10% of your annual budget to world missions? And I've had a few of them get real quiet on me. Get real quiet. To world missions. They might say, oh, we're doing, we're doing this in the community. That's fine. Wonderful. Good. Praise God for it. We're doing this. We're doing something else. Or we're involved in compassion. We give to the poor. Yeah, but what about, as I shared with the young people today, there are 8 billion people out there. There are 8 billion people. Now, my wife and I would certainly thank God for the fact that among those millions are the people that live in the state of Nebraska. Her dad belonged to, and I won't even remember the, the denomination, but a denomination that is very prominent in northeast Nebraska was a part of that church and didn't know Jesus Christ. And yet, Somebody came to their community to talk about what took place here today, and that is a, a Pentecostal outpouring. And Harry Blockup gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And because of that, the family has been, has been on a journey to lift up Jesus and to bring other people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful. But it's not a case of of uh, either or, that's not it. The priority and what I'm here to celebrate with you today about pleasure is that it is simultaneously all people, every individual on the face of this earth. Praise God. Now, I've just got to tell you today because you've seen the videos. We're here to celebrate so many wonderful things that God by the Holy Spirit is doing on the face of this earth in a harvest. Greg Biggs, the field director for Africa, and Scott Hansen. I'm not going to, I'm not going to correct him. That's not my job. But they weren't quite right in their dates <laughs> on this. They said, you know, for 30 years there's been church planning. I smiled and I said to myself, oh, it's been going on a lot longer than that. It's been going on for more than 50 years from that first convert that I told you about. And for a long time, things kind of plateaued out until, and I've got to be careful here today and not taking too much time with stories, but I want to tell you one about the Maasai that you've just seen. One day, a couple of the Maasai elders that you could see them, they, you could see them in the video. They love, they, they carry a knob carry and a knob carried means something built out of the, that looks like a, a, a club, and that's authority, and, and I love the way I get, I've got a bad knee now, but I used to get right in there with them and celebrate, and celebrate we could jump and praise God and worship the Lord. We, we, culturally, it's, it's a marvelous experience. I, 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 I've just got to tell you today, that there was a major breakthrough, and it came supernaturally, supernaturally, as we were praying. Now, you know, I told you we started with one convert, and there would be times at the Arusha Bible School when we would pray. We believed in intercession, and at times we didn't even have enough money for electricity, and there would only be a kerosene lamp that would burn dimly over in the corner, and we would kneel on benches and pray. We were praying and seeking God. Somehow, oh God, we're surrounded by a people called the Maasai, and so few of them know about Jesus they're bound in demonic powers and in traditional religions, and they don't know Jesus. And so, Lord, what can we do? What can we do? How can we? How, how can we? I can remember that one convert praying and weeping before God one time. And when I walked over, Petro Tabili was his name, and I walked over and put my arm around him, and I said, Oh, God, somehow help us to pray a prayer of intercession. 
We intercede for the Lord of the harvest to break through among these people so that you, Lord, these are your people and you have the methods. But we know from the scripture that we are to be witnesses in it and that we can expect to be endued with power from the from the Holy Spirit, which is more than, which is speaking in tongues, yes, but much more than that. And that is to carry the message to every individual. And as we would pray and intercede, one day a major breakthrough came. Let me tell you about it quickly. I'll do the Reader's Digest. Two of these elders went up to the mountain, the beautiful mountain of the world is in their area. It's called Mount Kilimanjaro. And they went up to the mountain to pray. And while they were praying, they had a vision. How many of you believe that God's still a God of a vision? They had a vision. One of them saw something extremely, almost frightening. He saw the face of a white man. And this face was specific. He had a ruddy, kind of a red complexion. Now they're, you know, they're. Neilotic people, and they're, they're, they're black. And so he saw this, he saw this vision of this, of this white man that had a ruddy complexion, and then more specific in that, had, had some space in, in his, between his teeth. And God said to them in the Ma language, God can speak in the Ma, that's M-A-A, <laughs> Because God was God before Babel. Do you understand me? God is the God of every language. And God can speak Ma. And God can speak Swahili. Thank God he can speak Spanish. (laughs) I told somebody this week, my last name is Spain. It's a shame I don't speak Spanish, but... (laughs) But uh, God sent us. God sent us to another part of the world, and 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 so we we use the language of of Swahili. So in the Ma language, God told one of these elders, "You are to go to Nairobi and find this red-faced mzungu. Mzungu is their term for a white person. It's the same as gringo. It's the same. It's just like gringo. And." Uh, and you are to go now. I want you to think of that one for a little. They were at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. It is a four to five hour automobile trip. It's probably a day's ride on a bus. And God tells a Maasai elder that shared with his friend, You are to go to the capital city and find this white man. Wow. Nairobi's a city of three million people. How do you find one white man in a city of three million people? They said, God told us, he'll show us. So they went to Nairobi, spent the many hours traveling by Matatu. If any of you have been in that part of the world, that's an experience in itself to ride in a public taxi. They took these buses and changed, made it to Nairobi, started by African style, by word of mouth, saying, we're looking for, we're looking for a certain white man. Many of them said, we don't know anything about him. But finally, one of them said, we think he's a missionary. Oh, he's a missionary? A white missionary? Well, you might try it. One of them said, now think of this. Think of this in a city of three million people. Somebody downtown Nairobi says, you might try Buruburu. We know there's a group of missionaries at Buruburu. Buruburu is a, is, is a section of this three million people. You might try it out there. So they take another taxi and ride to the eastern part of the city, come to a school that is called the East Africa School of Theology. Now God is narrowing it down, see? Walk up to the guard at the gate and say, we're looking for a white man who's red-faced and has space in between his teeth. And the guard said, he's right in here. He's sitting in here right now. He's sitting at this school. Okay. You know what? If you understand the impact of that, out of four billion people, how do you find one white man with space between his teeth and you walk up to a gate and somebody says he's sitting right in here now? Let's give the Lord a clap offering.
His name is Glenn Ford. Not the movie star, but the missionary. <laughs> and, and, and these guys find Glenn and say, God sent us here to tell us that you and your colleagues are to come and teach us the word of God. Wow. Wow. I can't begin to describe the emotions of this because Glenn Ford that night came to me and he said, Jerry, I know you've been working among the Maasai and he said, I've got some meetings for right now that I can't leave, but these people say that God has said that we should send teachers to them. Would you go? Wow. Your Nebraska missionary had the invitation to go. To go find where the Maasai were, were worshiping. And by this time, God in his sovereignty had poured out of his spirit upon not only those elders, but a whole group of people, and they didn't have a church. They didn't know where to go, so they just started meeting under an acacia thorn tree. <laughs> and, and they left word that we were to send teachers to teach them. Now, I don't have time on this Sunday morning to tell you how long it took us to get there, <laughs> where there are no maps. Well, I remember one time, because Glenn Ford couldn't go, he sent me, and I took an African brother with me that knew more about the territory. And so the two of us got to a little town, and we said, we're looking for some people that work, worship under a tree. We're told they worship under... Now, think of that. How many trees there are in Africa? <laughs> and, but we were in the right community, and they said, we think there's somebody here in the community that can tell you where they meet under that tree. And God made the connection. And a man came to us and said, I can show you exactly where they're worshiping underneath that tree. And in Africa, if they ever use, if you ask for directions and if they ever use their chin, you better look out. Because, because I, we said to him in Swahili, and they said, they lift out up the chin. They said, huko, huko. When they lift the chin and say huko, that means it's a long distance. That's, that's the gesture. It's a long, mm, huko means it's not right here. It's a long distance. And I said, well, that's okay. Let's go. I didn't prepare. I had a car. I, didn't, I had a car and instead of a four-wheel drive vehicle. And we started out and there weren't many roads. I finally said to the African guide who said he was going to take us to the tree where they were worshiping. I said to him, I don't think we're going to be able to make it. This car won't make it. And he turned to me. And this is what he said to me in Swahili. He said, do you want to see God? Do you want to see what God is doing? And I said, I don't want to miss God. He said, let's keep going then. <laughs> let's keep going. And we kept going <laughs> over rocks and no road and so on. And we get to this place where there's a giant acacia thorn tree. And I hear God. I hear God because I hear people singing. And they weren't singing worldly songs. They were singing songs to worship Jesus. And underneath that tree were about a hundred people among the Maasai that had already dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ. And they were worshiping, saying, we don't understand everything that God is doing and we need a Bible teacher. Would you come and teach for us? What an invitation. I've got to use that thing that's called the remote fast forward. That was in 1984. We started teaching. Wow, was that a marvelous experience. I was still a teacher at a Bible college, and so I could only go on weekends. But I would go down there, or if we had a break from the school, I would sometimes go down there and pitch a tent that had been provided by missionary money. Pitch a tent. Just stay in the tent. There were days. I don't want to, please, in this celebration, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I knew the language well enough that I could go and, and teach. I could teach in Swahili, and then they would interpret in the Ma. So sometimes, sometimes we would have, we'd have dual languages, always dual language, but sometimes if an outsider would come, there would be three languages, three languages that we would use in the barrier, overcoming that and teach them. Well, fast forward in this celebration with pleasure today. That was in 1984, and we started from there teaching. 
until we came home again and raised money for a Bible school, all of these things. I don't expect you to remember. I came to Lexington asking if we could, if we could have money. We needed money to build a Bible training center. The Bible training center is where that picture, one of those pictures was taken, where they were standing right there. That's, that was the Bible training center where hundreds now, hundreds of Maasai have been trained. And now there's a second Bible school. And as I've already told you, and I'll reemphasize, there are hundreds of churches and there are thousands and thousands of Maasai Christians. Let's give the Lord a clap up. And so, and so that's the way we impact the world and bring closure to the Great Commission. That's, that's what God has told us to do. He said, be about my harvest. And then rejoice together when God does it, when God does it. But what I've got to conclude with this morning in the next few moments is the fact that we've still got so much to do. Wow. It's staggering, really. You know, I had intended maybe to give you a little exercise today to take a deep breath and, and say Nebraska three times or four times or five times. When we do that, if we say Nebraska five times, 20 people have been born in this world in those five seconds. But also, five to six, five point something, People have died. Now, I don't want to be negative. I'd like to be positive to say, you know, the world is growing faster than we're not able to keep up with it entirely now with all the birth and where it is. And so, in some sense, to reality, we're losing the battle. We're losing the battle because of the birth rate of people and, and, and the death rate and look at all the stats and yet, with God, nothing is impossible. If what, I have, if what I've just told you about the Maasai is true, it can be multiplied anywhere. It can be multiplied in Nebraska. It can be multiplied where you, you say, oh, but those are, those are, so the Maasai were religious people. They had their own traditional religion, and yet God broke through, and churches are being planted. And if he can do it there, he can do it anywhere in the world. Okay. I want to conclude today by saying this week, very week, I've been asked to take on a new project. And I didn't pray about it 10 seconds. Not even 10 seconds. I, I got an email from the director of Africa's Hope. And he said, Jerry, we've got an opportunity. He calls it a tremendous, life, almost a lifetime opportunity in the country of Nigeria. Now, Nigeria is a tremendous example. I don't have time again today to tell you the history of the Assemblies of God in Nigeria. Excuse me. But I'll just, I'll just mention to you that the Assemblies of God got started in Nigeria through the Pentecostal Evangel. You know that a, a person working in immigration in Nigeria got a hold of a Pentecostal Evangel and read the story and said, Wow! There are other people in the world that are receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit and following Jesus Christ with all their hearts. And, and one day, one of our AG, AG officials was going through Nigeria, just going. He was just going to pass through the country. And, and, and they, they looked at his passport and said, where are you from? They said, from the United States. What church do you belong to? We belong to the Assemblies of God. It's a, Pente a Pentecostal, they said. We, we, we've read about that church. We read about it in a Pentecostal evangel. Would you send us somebody? Again, would you send somebody to Nigeria to teach us about what's happening in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, and in winning people to Jesus Christ? And the rest is history. Let me tell you something today. There are hundreds. One of the fastest growing church in Nigeria today is the Nigerian Assemblies of God. Hang on to this one. There are 10 Bible colleges with 5,500 students. Now, I want to repeat that because I just took it off of an email that came from the director of Africa's Hope. 5,500 students. And they have sent out an SOS. They've said, we don't have enough textbooks. 
And Africa's Hope is all about providing textbooks. I'm going to hold up one of them here today. You're a missionary, and I try to say this humbly, was challenged one day to write a textbook for Africa. Wow, you talk about our labor of love. This represents many, many, many hours. I taught this course for 40 years. 40 years in the classroom, only to be challenged by a Dr. John York to say, put it in publishing form. Wow, that was hard. That wasn't easy. I didn't have all the footnotes. I've put them up on the board, but I didn't have all the footnotes. And God miraculously provided a librarian to help me to do all the research and so that, so that we could publish a book. I happen to be an amateur a historian, and this is the history of the church in Africa. And, and, and Randy Tarr says that here's a plan that we have for Nigeria right now. We are going to provide 1,500 copies of each one of these. They're called, it's called the Discovery Series. 36 books have been produced by Africa's Hope as a, as a curriculum for these, for these 10 Bible colleges and 5,500 students. And he says it will take $7,500 per book to have them published and placed into the hands of the students. But that's not the whole story. Oh, I love the end of it, the story. And that is, they're going to give the first copy. The students are going to pay for some of the uh, cost of the, of, of the books. It will go into a fund. And then because of, 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 of uh, Speed the Light and, and other programs, they have what they call print-on-demand machines, and they can reprint them themselves, and they'll have the money to be able to do it. And so if we, if, if we can provide the first copy, it'll be perpetuated. And, and in our indigenous church principle, they will pay the bills and continue until Jesus comes. Praise God. So let's bow in prayer. And uh, pray that God will provide the funds. It's going to take 7,500 even to do this one book. Now my wife and I will give a very generous offering towards this, this one book. And each one of them. It's about a $300,000 project. Now somebody might want to take care of the whole $300,000. But maybe not. And maybe you want to just have a part and so I'm going to pray that God will provide. Lord, you know every person present today. And we're talking about missions, and, and yet, Lord, I pray. If there should be anybody here today who hasn't made a personal decision to follow you, I pray that before the day's over, Lord, that they'll recognize that they can be a part of this exciting harvest. And I pray your blessing to rest upon every person within the sound of my voice. And help us, Lord, I pray, to do our best to provide textbooks for Nigeria right now in this project so that we can have a major impact on these 5,500 students in Nigeria and that each one of these Discovery Series titles will be published and provided for them and then that they can continue to print them until you come back, Lord. In many ways, I pray that the harvest of Nigeria has only started so that every individual can have an adequate witness of you and your power and your saving redemption. We'll give you praise for it in the name of the Lord. Amen.